0: I love the way that it really brings me into the present moment, gets me out of my head. Um, and in doing so, I, I tend to find a lot of clarity about, about the life I want to live, the person I want to be, and, and how I want to you know, spend my finite amount of time on, on this planet. And, of course, if you get to come home with, with food to share with your family and friends, that's always a, a perk, too.
1: Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I'm your host, Byron Pace, and this is episode 123, a modern Huntsman production. This week, we jump back in to the Living with Nature series, which we ran last year, presented by Swarovski Optic. You can go back to episode 197 if you want to hear those six episodes again, uh, or maybe this is the first time you're joining me, in which case you'll be listening to them for the very first time. Uh, We have tweaked the questions a little, so they're not the same as the original series, uh, but the theme is the same. It's how do my guests connect and live with nature. If you want to hear about the Swarovski Ambassador event that we helped organize last year, you can jump back into episode 218 and you will re-meet a lot of the people who were on the last series um, and some people that you haven't heard from before, but who will be on the podcast in their own right later on this year. Today, however, you will be hearing from my friend, photographer and writer Gloria Goni, about how she connects with nature. If you want to see some of Gloria's work, pick up Modern Huntsman, Volume 10, and the story written by Amanda Monti on Fire in the Landscape, and you will see Gloria's work there. She did all of the amazing photography, for that story. But quickly, before we get into this episode, a thank you to this week's top tier Patreon supporters who include Richard McNeil, Ronnie Speakman of RD Contracting, James Marchington, the guys at South Esher Stalking, uh, actually Chris just won an award at the British Shooting Show, so congratulations Chris, um, Dick Ekstromer, Mark Zabroski and Leslie Cumming. If you want to contact the show, it's info at UK. Com. You can find the details for Gloria's website in the show notes, along with my website, which uh, has updates about all the things that I'm up to. And if you want to dive more into the work at Modern Huntsman, buy the publication, or read some of the digital content, it's modernhuntsman.com. That is also in the show notes. Gloria, welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast and the Living with Nature series. I'm speaking to you from Scotland. You're in Montana, which is much colder right now. So cold that I saw a couple of weeks ago, you were ice fishing. That's not something I've ever done. Have you done it much?
0: Um, ice fishing is a new endeavor for me. Um, you know, you here in Montana, you gotta have to find ways to get outside in the winter. And it's been a fun new skill to learn. Um, but so was
1: that your first time the, w- the one that i saw you on a couple of weeks ago
0: i think it was maybe my second or third okay. uh it's definitely like not rocket science um <laughs> <mostly> <laughs> explain, just the, explain
1: explain explain <laughs> the setup there because all i see when i see pictures is uh people standing around often like drinking a beer around a hole with a very short little rod jigging something up <laughs> and down or it's like set up on a rig or something
0: yeah, the, the the rod was the part that I like took me the most to get used to because it reminds me of like the rod my dad bought me when I was like four years old, you know? Yeah, it looks like, like a little
1: kid's rod. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um yeah, basically you either have a mechanical auger or like the manual kind, and you make a mm. hole in the ice and it's really uh, interesting. Like the ice here in Montana was like almost a foot. really, I think, um, takes some skill to get through the ice or just some, some, uh, muscle and, and then, yeah, you, you basically just put on little like maggots or little, I think they're specifically for ice fishing, the, the bait you use. And then you might put like a little live worm thing and you drop it in the water. And exactly. I think the drinking part is kind of the,
1: the must the time. Be,
0: yeah. <laughs> how, yeah I think that's a prerequisite to going ice fishing is having has having some beers or something to drink while you're out there uh, I, but it's much I, more social like seems it yeah <laughs> I,
1: I I don't know if you'll know the answer to this question then given that you're quite new to it but how do they know you know when everything's frozen. If I'm walking along, because I mean, we'll get to this, I'm sure, because you fish a lot. Um, you walk along a river with your fly rod or whatever, however you're fishing, and you're reading the water. You say, mm. oh, "Okay, I know, I this bit looks good, that run going into the bank, and it's like cutting deep there, and then it slows down. I will like, bet you there's a fish sitting behind there." But with ice fishing, in it just seems you know, it's just miles and miles of snow and ice. How the hell do people know where to make a hole? Like what determines yeah, that, or is cool that it all knowledge?
0: I definitely think people like have their spots that they've gone on year after year. I think there's some experimenting. And also, um, you know, people have fish finders that they they put so that it's like sonar, um, to to look for the fish. Uh but yeah, I should also probably say I've never caught enough fish ice fishing. So oh, okay. <laughs> so this is how
1: not to do it then. don't fall <laughs> <exploring. Why? laughs>
0: no, My uh my <laughs> record isn't too good so far. Um yeah, <laughs> but I definitely think but, people kind of have their spots also like near the it's also a lot about like depth, but spacing out your holes. So you have different depths, uh, if, especially if you're going in a group setting, then you can kind of figure out, oh, OK, they're they're biting this and they're kind of more at this this depth.
1: OK, well, I still want it. It still looks it's, it's something I've not done. So it's something I definitely want to do at some point. So I am gonna have to make a trip over to Montana in the winter. And uh, and do it just because I want to say I've done it.
0: Yes, <laughs> um, no, definitely come come and do it, and um, you can come <laughs> come and drink not catch fish but drink beer. By the sounds of it.
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to the first question of this of this new series. So that for people who know the old series that we did, when I say old, last year, um, the questions have changed. So the first question, it, it's all still about engaging with nature, but the first question in the new series is. Do you have a nature-based experience that shifted your life perspective, or how you engage with the the world around you? Do you ha- do you have this sort of profound experience, as like I, you can put your finger on?
0: I love this question because I have an exact story to go along with this, and I usually try to incorporate it into any conversation I have with anyone. Um, oh, brilliant! Was, I mean, yeah, yeah. So. I call it my uh my cobweb story. And uh it took place uh quite a few years ago, I think during the later years of my adolescence, and my dad and I went on a elk hunting trip together during our tree season, and right before, you know, I was a late teen. Uh uh you know, going out into the woods for two weeks with my dad wasn't exactly the most appealing thing, but (laughs) you know, it's, it's something you do for, for your parents. And also he had probably bribed me. Uh, but right beforehand, I I can't quite remember what happened, but you know, some sort of petty teenage drama in my life. And (laughs) I was not looking forward to being without service for that long and kind of being stuck with my dad, but, uh, we went anyways and we would you know, every day, wake up early and go walk around the woods, and then we'd usually come home at, at you know midday when the when the elk weren't as active, and just kind of rest or read, and then we'd go back out in the evenings. And mm-hmm. it, it was on this huge, huge public land area in a um, in eastern Oregon, and we did a lot of bushwhacking. So we'd kind of go through the woods up into different drainages or whatever, and I remember getting so frustrated because I would follow my dad closely behind him, kind of to mimic the four legs of a of an elk. <laughs> and as we would be bushwhacking, he would walk through, and all the limbs of the trees would swing back and slap me in the in face. The face. I'm, I'm sure you know anyone who has has yep. bushwhacked or followed someone on a hike before knows that that feeling. And again, I was you know i'd follow my dad around and i'd just be ruminating about whatever you know drama was in my life and just kind of feeling sorry for myself for being out there with him and i remember i don't know maybe the 6th or 7th day i lost my cool and you know when you're when you're hunting you're supposed to be quiet but i just couldn't stand it anymore i i stopped and i said papa like this you keep you know walking and just having these limbs slap through my you know at my face do you even care about me or whatever <laughs> and totally throwing a tantrum and my dad calmly looked back at me and he said Gloria do you know how many cobwebs I've walked through hmm. and it was like it's kind of what exactly what you said like I can remember that moment so perfectly and it hit me like right then and there that it, you know in in our life it's like so easy to notice when people are doing things that bother you but it's much harder and maybe even impossible to know the things that people do every day to make your life easier because or better because you just have no way of knowing um one thing that i've also learned from hunting is like the world doesn't owe us anything You know, life is happening all around us, and we get to decide how we engage with it. But knowing that the world doesn't owe us anything, when someone shows up in our lives and like consistently, you know, shows up for us, it usually means that they love us and want what's best for us. Um, So, I think right then and there, I realized like, wow, I maybe I should start giving the people in my life like the benefit of the doubt. You know, I think about my friends when I go to their house and stay with them and they they know that I like a certain tea, so they make sure that they have it. Or my sister knows that I get car sick, so she automatically goes and sits in the back seat when we're going on a road trip together. Hmm. Little things like that that people are doing every day because they love us and they want us to have a better life, but we have no way of knowing that.
1: I love that. I, I didn't expect quite, quite the such a philosophical beginning to this, um, this yeah. series. But just remember the cobwebs. I like this.
0: right, and I think that like again, I would have not known. I had no way of knowing there was cobwebs. I didn't see a single cobweb because my dad walked through every single one of them, and I think I might have come to learn this. I know I would have at a later age, but. I I really think that it was like being in the woods in that low moment of my teenage years with my dad and kind of not having the distractions of modern life that really made me realize, realize that. And um, yeah, I feel super lucky to have a family that we're always trying to better know each other, better love each other. And and yeah, I think that if if people are in your life and they've stuck around and they're showing up for you, it's it's probably because they want what's best for you,
1: that's amazing. And I know um you did a project on your parents, right? a couple of years ago. Oh, a photo yeah. talent just I, this is not part of the questions, but I, I'm curious because it it looked so beautiful. and I thought it was so nice that you clearly had this very deep connection with your folks, which is now you know bearing out in partly in in the story that you've you've just told. but how what was the the catalyst for that? How come you ended up shooting them as part of a project?
0: Well, I think that, you know, I'm ai yeah, I'm a commercial photographer and I mostly work in like the fishing, hunting, outdoor cooking kind of world. Uh, and, you know, that love for, you know, food, for the outdoors really does come from my parents and like the lifestyle that they brought me up in. But my parents spend such little time on the internet. They, you know, they don't really understand what it means to be a freelance photographer, And they don't really see my work very often. So when a client of mine wanted to do a fishing and foraging and outdoor cooking shoot, I really wanted to take advantage of that opportunity to showcase my parents who have truly built like a life, you know, that is somewhat simple, but super meaningful, um, and, and also I think that, you know, to, to, to have, yeah, to get my parents to understand kind of what I do, they loved it. My mom What do you wait. mean
1: you take pictures and get paid for it? How does this work?
0: Well, <laughs> <Totally. laughs> fishing
1: and hunting and doing all the cool things.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. And, but it also was awesome because my parents recognized, they're like, oh my gosh, wow, you're you really know what you're doing and you're also working. <laughs> so it was, it was awesome to showcase their relationship, like their, the life that they've built together, but also show them that, yes, I, I do work <laughs> and I don't just, you know, fish and hunt all day for fun, but. Um, uh,
1: that's yeah. really beautiful. And <laughs> I mean, I, I've never met your parents, and uh, but I could, I could tell just from the first sort of photo essay that you shared this sort of, simple grounded nature of them that certainly came through in the work anyway, which seems to reflect real life.
0: Yeah, totally. There's a, uh, a a woman or an author called bell hooks who has this line that says, uh, living simply makes loving simple. And I think that that like is my parents to a T their, their life is very simple. They don't have too much going on, but, uh, they're so they're living with so much integrity, doing the things that they truly believe in and, and, you know, making sure that what they do is what, what they really want to be doing and what's really important to them.
1: It's another great pool court. I think we're going to end up with a couple of t-shirt slogans (laughs) at the end of this.
0: podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's (laughs) bell hook. She's an incredible author. Um, but yeah.
1: (laughs) So to question two, which is what is your, and I think I might be able to guess this, but maybe I'm totally wrong. What is your go-to favorite way to experience the outdoors and nature and, and why?
0: Well, you probably do know the answer to this. But before I answer, I would love to say that like any time that you can spend outside is good. For me, I live in Missoula, Montana. I live really close to the Clark Fork River, right? It goes right through town. And just taking my dog out on a little walk on the river path is so incredible and like so meditative for me. So I, I do try to make sure people know that any time outdoors is good for you and that you don't need to be doing some grand adventure to like reap the benefits of of nature and finding little pockets of nature in your everyday life is so important but that said when when I do get to choose the way I spend time outside I love fishing hunting and foraging I think I kind of pull those all together because typically it's with the the pursuit of food in mind I love this kind of way of interacting with the environment because I'm way more in tuned. you know, with hunting, you really have to be quiet unless you throw a tantrum like I did. Uh, <laughs> and with fishing, you're, you know, you're trying to trick the fish into thinking that this, this bunch of feathers is an animal, right. Or is our food for them. And, and with foraging, you're, you know, usually you could walk in the woods and just kind of talk with your friend, but you're really paying attention to the ground and, Looking for patterns, you know. I found a chanterelle mushroom under that hemlock earlier, so let me look at some other hemlocks to see, you know, if I find something similar. And I love the way that it really brings me into the present moment, gets me out of my head, um, and in doing so, I, I tend to find a lot of clarity about about the life I want to live, the person I want to be, and and how I want to, you know, spend my finite amount of time on on this planet. And of course, if you get to come home with with food to share with your family and friends, that's always a, a perk too.
1: Absolutely, I, I solve a lot of problems while I'm casting a fly,
0: like oh my life, God, life, yeah. life
1: problems. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, I definitely think that the um, slowing ourselves down and getting rid of those distractions that the modern, you know, a modern life just puts in our hands every single day is is really important.
1: It's really hard to press pause. Yeah, and, and and not that you want to like stop life moving on, but I've become increasingly aware how like fast we move, mm-hmm. and how um how much there's an expectation to create, particularly like in our line of work because we do similar things, like to create right. stuff all the time, and the idea, just the notion of like taking an entire week out to not be specifically shooting photos or making a film or podcasting or whatever the, you know, the million things that make up the work is that we do, um, just to do it for the love of it for you is really hard when, when it's also part of the life uh, and work that you lead.
0: Oh, totally. I, I think about this every day, like, um, with photography, especially like creating the work you want to see in the world, not just the work you think you're going to get paid for. And
1: yes, um, yes, I love that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think about that every day, like, because, because, you know, I think that especially like photography or any sort of craft of, of that nature, like is, um, you don't want to ruin it by, by, you know, trying to make money off of it, but it's also, it's also the only thing I want to do in this world. So I, I do need to make money off of
1: it. But th- there's a there's a challenge there though. And I, I can totally relate to that because I was, I was having this conversation with somebody recently about work, like a future project. And I was saying to them that I said, I don't actually, you know, there's so much stuff that I've done in the past that's not on my website. Mm-hmm. Is it because it's not, it's not that I don't think it's good. It's just not reflective of the kind of work that I want to do in my life going forward. And so mm-hmm. I've removed it from my back catalog right for people if people are like trying to decide if they want to work with me or a client or whatever i don't I don't want to showcase that work because I don't think that that's the kind of stuff that I want to do, and so trying to find a way to Spend the time doing the work that you're really proud to hold up, and like this is what I want to consume my life, is is can be quite hard because it's not always where the money is, uh, really? but it can help funnel more work like that towards you.
0: Totally, and I also think it's like it's yeah, like shoot the work you want to be paid for, but also make sure that you're shooting the work that you just want to make. I I. I have such a different relationship with like my Canon R5 than I do with my Canon AE one film camera, because when I pick up my film camera, I'm so much calmer. It doesn't feel like work. It's more Mm -hmm. like I'm going out mushroom hunting and I want to take a couple pictures of the mushroom and little details. Whereas when I'm, you know, using my, bigger professional digital camera i'm thinking about okay what product placement composition and that you know so making sure that you keep doing you know if it's if it's photography or whatever right like keep doing it for fun because you don't want to lose that love
1: no and it shows in your work i uh as you know uh, i shoot film quite a lot uh, or have done in the last couple of years and There was a project, in fact, we we printed it in the last volume of Modern Huntsman that I did on international whaling. So very, you know, very uh, complicated and serious topic. Right. Um, But I took my film camera with and my digital camera. I was actually mostly filming video, Um, but we needed still images for the story. And I shot about two and a half thousand stills on my digital camera. And I shot 72 images on my film camera. And when it came down to me processing them and doing the shortlist, for what we might wanna include in the final story.
0: Mm-hmm. Most
1: of the images that I chose were my film images.
0: Oh, totally. I, <laughs> you're <laughs> preaching to the choir on that one. I mean, i am always, I also feel like the, when I look at my film photos three years later, I, I just, a smile pops onto my face. I just, yep. I, I love looking at them. I get so excited. Mm-hmm. But when I look at a photo that I took with my digital camera three years ago, I can't stop nitpicking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, how did I, you know, edit it that way? And I also think that with digital, like there's just so many different ways you can edit it. You you also have so many options, right? You have thousands of photos. Yeah. And I think that really like, right? that's too many choices and kind of lends itself to unhappiness or like oh I could have done it better or I could have edited it that way I could have chosen that photo but with film you you know you get what you get and I tend to be so much happier with that the the results
1: yeah I don't know why it is we could do a whole podcast on that I sometimes I love the mistakes the things that didn't come out the way you thought they would are sometimes the most brilliant but um yeah the more I can I just need to make more money because shooting on film is very expensive (laughs) by comparison
0: and becoming more
1: expensive um just the bloody film and developing definitely so to question three is there a person I mean you've already given us a a few of these but um (laughs) is there a person a book or film that has transformed how you engage with nature
0: Yes. I thought about this one a little bit and there's so many great people. There's so many great books. There's so many great films, but when it comes down to it, I think what really transformed the way I engage with nature uh, was studying, you know, biology in, in college. So my answer is going to be my biology textbooks. Okay. And the That's not reason- what I
1: expected at <laughs> all.
0: <laughs> the reason I chose this was, you know, in college, I had spent, I've, I'm lucky to have spent so much of my childhood outside, um, you know, had parents who were really able to prioritize that. And I always believe, right, spending outside is how you get people to care about the natural world, but when I was studying biology and math in college, my awe and wonder for the natural world like expanded exponentially, and I think it was because it was so humbling to try to to just attempt to understand all the processes that are happening around us every single day, right? And like the the history of how, you know, how we are in this place, in this, you know, point of time, and like the just the chances of me being on this earth, right? So, all of that came to came like made me just appreciate the natural world so much more and really want to conserve it, be a steward, uh, because I just know how long it took to get to where we are, and and um. Yeah, so I, I think that that is what I decided for that answer. Um,
1: it really yeah. speaks to the the idea that you it's very hard to love and care for something that you don't understand.
0: Right. I think, you know, yeah, and I also think that when you spend a lot of time outside, but you aren't really trying to figure out the why, you know, why, you know, like different adaptations, why things are the way they are, how all of that you – it's easier to take for granted what's happened or what, you know, where you are. But when you start to study the nitty gritty, it's like, Oh my gosh. And I, I truly don't take anything for granted. Even, you know, the, the trees in my backyard.
1: I I think one of the things that that kind of background or education gives you is a desire to be curious. Cause it, Mm -hmm. in my mind, it's not about knowing the answers but it's about being curious enough to know what questions to ask so that you can learn more. And then everything's a learning experience from the people that are around you to the unknown knowns and the known unknowns. It's, it it makes it just so much more of an immersive experience. If you have a curious mind.
0: Totally. And that's why I'm like such a proponent of citizen science programs, because, you know, it's not realistic for everyone to be a, you know, PhD biologist or a wildlife biologist or a climate scientist, right? But, but for people to just go out into the world slightly more curious, right? Like paying attention to those little things and thinking about why or how. it um, also enhances your, your experience outside, but it also, uh, right, promotes that curiosity and, and people to be motivated to keep learning.
1: Totally, totally. Uh, so uh, to the next question, is there a conservation initiative or something like that happening anywhere in the world right now that you're partic- particularly passionate about or think that people need need to know this story?
0: Yeah, I think the one thing that is kind of on my mind wherever I go is, you know, I, t- I truly believe that no one deserves to spend time outdoors more than anyone else. and if if someone wants to recreate outside responsibly they they deserve to and and it's it's important for people who have historically had um the privilege of spending more time outside to give opportunities to people who maybe haven't but keeping that in mind right if if there is more interest especially in in these fields like hunting and and fishing if there's more interest it also puts more pressure on the resources and, you know, uh, increases the risk for invasive species to be spread or wildfires to start. And so what I'm always thinking about is how can we manage these resources in a way that allows for people who historically haven't been able to get outside as much, too, and and to know that also, like we just talked about, right? Like, you can't expect people to really care about something if they don't know it. So I think it is really important for people to get outside. Uh, Things I think about are like the check, clean, dry kind of campaigns in the fishing world of of, um, teaching people, you know, the importance of cleaning their waders or their wading boots between moving from river to river and the risks that when you don't do that, right? Or uh, here in Montana, we have hood owl, uh, which is when the rivers are getting hot you know, at two at two p.m. they close down certain rivers throughout the year. Yeah, and, for the water
1: temperature, yeah. For oh,
0: the water temperatures. And I think that a big component of this is education, right? You tell someone, oh, you have to stop fishing at 2 p.m. They might be like, what? Why? But if you teach them, oh well, fish are pokeotherms. They don't have a metabolism like we do, you know, they can't regulate their temperature. It's, you know, the the risk for death is so much higher at these temperatures when it's above, you know, mid-sixties. I think that really motivates people to take care of care of the world when they start to understand it. So I'm always like kind of on the lookout for different, uh, you know, measures that people are taking to to protect our natural resources and wildlife while still allowing opportunities for for anyone who wants to get outside to do so.
1: This, this, that kind of bleeds into the next question. So I'm not sure if it's kind of the same answer, but uh, things that you do in your daily life to help mitigate our just general negative impact on the planet. I think most people are recycling now. Um, so that right. I guess, that one doesn't really count because <laughs> most people are doing it. But is, right. there, is there anything that maybe someone can learn from you about some ways that you consider that and try and be positive?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that like when I think about my life, I just want to live with integrity, right? I want to be doing the things that like, I want to live a life that I am proud of, but I also know that it isn't realistic for, you know, everyone to stop using plastic or, you know, never use fossil fuels again. And at this date, right now, Um, and so I think that it's super important when thinking about this question to take a look inward and be like, what, what are ways, what are habits I can implement in my life that are sustainable? And in my opinion, there has to be some kind of component of it that makes it fun or else or at least like somewhat pleasurable or else, you know, I think it's easy to burn out. So for me, I think like the way I do it is I really prioritize that relationship I have with my food. You know, I I am not a vegan, but I source my food really close to home for the most part through hunting, through fishing, through, you know, foraging, but also through Uh, paying for a local CSA and, and cooking the majority of my food. So making time in my day to cook rather than just going out to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, yeah, I spend my weekends doing this. So maybe it's not for everyone, but thinking about, oh, you know, someone could think I really like biking. I really like, uh, you you know, that form of exercise. So I'm going to start commuting with a bike and it's, it's pleasurable. It's sustainable in the long run, right, over time, they can maintain that uh, habit. So, so yeah, I think that that's like the most important part to that uh, question. But for me, I just love being outside um, and finding the ingredients I use in, in the food that I cook.
1: I, I, I totally appreciate that. I, I'm ju- I just used the last bag of cabbage that I cut up and froze from my mom and dad's garden last year
0: Oh, <laughs> so I don't I know, know. what
1: I'm going. and the last bag of carrots that I cut up and froze as well
0: oh wow yeah, yeah. I know it is sad when you get to the bottom of the freezer yeah uh, but then it's okay well hopefully spring is coming soon
1: it's coming it's coming yeah it's yeah. Uh, but I've got I've got plenty of I've got plenty of meat so that's fine I can always just have a high protein diet which tends to be my diet most of the time anyway. Um, right. Do you have a story which gives you optimism about the future of wildlife, nature, and our place in the great outdoors? Like so many of the stories that are told or that we hear on the news or the films that are made or the the articles that are written are quite doom and gloom. It's thing. it's ways that we've screwed up the world. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there something that you can point to as a shining light of optimism?
0: Yeah, I, again, I'm, you know, I'm a nihilist in some ways, but I'm a pretty optimistic nihilist in the sense that I think, you know, if you care about something, even if we're all going to be ash one day, we should probably keep trying to do it. So I find a lot of optimism every day and like here, especially in Montana about the people I meet and, and the, the ways they're, they're living their lives. Uh, most recently, maybe, and locally here to kind of Missoula, Montana, uh, there's a bill that was proposed called the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act, mm-hmm. and it is you know the Blackfoot River is kind of that uh, famous river from A River Runs Through It. Yep, I'm sure you've heard of it.
1: I fished it, oh, which was a bo- yeah. which was a boyhood dream of mine ever since watching that film at like 10 years old or whatever it was.
0: Yeah, I feel like so many people from all across like the world. At, like have come to the Blackfoot because of that, because of that film or that um, obviously that movie or the book first by Norman, um, but this Blackwood Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act, it um, it has the thing that I love about it so much is and it, you know it hasn't been passed yet I should preface that, but people from all walks of life here in Montana have been putting aside their differences. And finding that common ground for the good of of this wild place of protecting this river, right? And um, and the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act is, it would if it were to be put in place, it would be protect a lot of the tributaries and therefore obviously the river. Um, and it 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 has like support of eighty four percent of Montanans, local tribes, ranchers, people in the timber industry, outfitters, guides, all sorts of people have shown immense support. And when I see things like this, where, you know, we're in a very divisive culture right now, especially in the United States, and, and people are able to put aside those differences for, for a common good, especially for, you know, conservation, um, that really warms my heart. It also makes me feel like, okay, if we can do it here, people can do it all across the world.
1: Brilliant. Well, that's great. It's great to see uh, and hear about um, positive change. I love that. So with that, to the last question, which is, uh, what is your your kind of elevator pitch to the important? I've, I feel like you, you've you been doing that for the last 30 minutes, but <laughs> <laughs> what is your kind of elevator pitch as to the importance of n- uh, nature immersion for those people who don't spend that much time outside? I mean, you know, f- for so many of the, well, pretty much all of the people that I am friends with and hang out with and spend my time with, that's they're all doing that because it's the thing that I love to do. But there is you know, the vast majority of the planet is is simply not doing that. It might not be out of, out of choice. Just, we live in a very urbanized world now. But what would you say to those people to encourage them to see the value in the natural world out there? And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier on, which is that if you can't find a way to do that, then why would people care in the first place as to what's happening to it?
0: totally totally i think the first thing that i would say to this question is that there's no right way to spend time outside right i think that uh, one thing that maybe keeps people from doing it is also just thinking oh my gosh you know i have to go on these wild adventures to be able to be outdoorsy or to 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 do this but you know going for a walk finding green spaces within your city all of that is still like you still reap the benefits of spending time outside and And what, but those benefits to me are, you know, we're, we're humans, we're animals like any other animal on this planet. We evolved, you know, we didn't evolve to sit in chairs or look at screens. We evolved to spend time outside to, to interact with our environment. And I really think it's in our DNA that like, it's in our DNA that we, um, we like reap benefits when we're outside. I think it truly is the best thing you can do for your mind, body, and soul. Um, I, I think that personally, I never feel more loving or loved than when I'm outside on the river or in the woods or up on the mountains. Like that is truly when I am my best self. Uh, but also, yeah, for that, like kind of conservation measure, you know, we're in a, our, (laughs) our world, you know, we're in a climate crisis, we're in an environmental crisis. And I think that one of the keys to, to really, Changing the way our our world is kind of going is to get people to spend more outside time outside. When you spend time outside, your awe and wonder grow for the natural world. You 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 know you start to really care for it. You don't take it so much for granted, and you see how truly sacred all these all these places are. Um, So I think that you know on a personal level, it is so good for you and also for you know the future of our planet it's it's really good for you too
1: <laughs> Gloria. Thank you so much for your insights and your time. It's been fantastic to speak to you today. so many things to think about um and next time I'm in Montana, I think we need to share a river and have a cup
0: yes. We'll skip the ice fishing. We'll just go yeah. <laughs> <to> fly fishing. <laughs> I think I think we'll have better luck. And um, I mean, no, yeah, I'm not saying anything bad about ice fishing. It's it's a good way to spend the winter. But if you, can I want to do
1: it because I haven't done it. But I think I, I I would be very surprised if I suddenly decide that I prefer that to casting a delicate line for a <laughs> rising trout on a river. I, I there there is pretty much nothing else on this planet that um, I enjoyed doing more in the outdoors than watching fish rise and oh every God. now and then trying to trick one into taking my bundle of fluff, as you put it.
0: <laughs> yes, no, there is truly, um, there's nothing better. <laughs>
1: Thanks so much, Gloria. You I'll speak so much,
0: <laughs>